0: amen good evening man we've already had god is good is he not it's been awesome um a couple things i have to get off my chest before i start or i just want to say before i start i was laying in bed last night and i was thinking about how great last night's service was and how the spirit was so near i was kind of going through the stuff that i said and i realized that i said at one point i said Peter and Paul and all the other Beatles, And you guys graciously laughed. And of course I meant John and Paul and all the other Beatles. There was no beetle that was named Peter. (laughs) So thank you for graciously that. I could have said Peter, Paul, and Mary. That would have worked. But the music lover in me would not just let that go. So thank you for graciously laughing. Um, The other thing I wanted to say, you know, I have been so blessed by you guys each night. It's really been like a feeling of family here. And also um, the Gregory family, um, Pastor Aaron and Katie and Isaac and Gracie. You guys have it good here. They are wonderful people. Yeah. And Pastor Aaron, you know I met him a long time ago. Um, and he is one of those rare breeds that has wisdom beyond his years. But he is still has the softest spirit to the Holy to the Holy Spirit to God to change for God to change him, and that is a rare rare thing. And so you guys are really blessed, and I, I've been blessed to be with him and his family. So I just wanted to say that. Um, we're going to be working from Acts twenty eight tonight. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, I kind of have to set this this up. It's the last chapter in the book of Acts the book of Acts is a story of the freshly the new Christian church after the, the the resurrection of Jesus this is the freshly forming Christian church and one of the main characters in the book of Acts is this guy called Paul he used to be Saul, and he was one of the main persecutors of the Christian faith. had this amazing conversion experience. He became one of the greatest ambassadors of the Christian faith to the Gentiles. So those are people that are not Jews. And uh, because of that, he is arrested by Rome. And where we pick up the story, he's actually headed as a prisoner to Rome. And the ship that he's on is shipwrecked. And so that's where we pick up the story. So I'm going to pick it up at 28.1. They land on this island called Malta. And it says once safely on shore we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand they said to each other this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake, off into the fire, and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. It is kind of funny. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him, the hand that had just been bitten by a viper, and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So I'm going to jump down to the end of the chapter. Basically, they get on the boat. They end up in Rome. Paul continues to teach the gospel even though he is a prisoner in Rome. He's basically under house arrest but preaches to whoever will listen, whoever will come to see him, including the Roman guards who are, switching, are watching him. And the chapter ends like this. It says, For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. The word there is akolutos. Can you guys say that word with me? Akolutos. It's a really fun word to say. Let's try it again. Akolutos. It's, it's this awesome Greek word and what it means is just what we read there without hindrance without restraint it is like nothing can hold this back it's like a, a freight train man like nothing can stop it in a manner that no thing and no one can stop it's a beautiful Greek word and the cool thing about this word is this is the only place in all of the Bible that this word is used You guys are looking at me a lot like my wife looked at me when I told her that. (laughs) I mean, for a a literary guy, that's amazing. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word akalutos is used. And that amazes me because I can imagine the guy who's writing the book of Acts. And he's thinking, how am I going to finish this book? This book that tells the story of the new Christian church coming out of the resurrection of Christ... And this story tells the beginning of the Christian church. But you know what it doesn't say? How the church ends. Because it it hasn't. We're still here. Two thousand some years later, we are still here because of this beginning in this book. And there's a part of me that must think that the writer must have known that. He must have had this idea that this last word in this book has to be a legacy that will continue on. And he's thinking of the life of Paul. This guy who persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. And his life was turned around. And here he is in Rome preaching the gospel. And this is the legacy that we're still here because of. And so he's thinking of all that and he pins this beautiful word. "Akalutos." Unhindered in a manner that nothing and no one can stop. Even the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Amen? Here's the problem for me, and maybe you caught this as you're reading the story. Paul isn't that. I mean, did you catch that? He's a prisoner in Rome, he's a prisoner. Like, he, he can't come and go as he pleases. He's under house arrest. He has guards watching him all the time. He can't come and go as he pleases. He can't even see who he wants to see. They have to come and see him. If you know the rest of Paul's story, you know that he dies in Rome. He would die in Rome as a martyr. And I don't know about you, but that does not seem like unhindered, does it? It seems more closely to define the definition of hindered. Held back, restrained. But you see, that's because we tend to, fit, to focus on the physical, on the right now, on what we can see. And when he penned that last word, akalutos, I believe that the writer, it didn't have anything to do with the physical chains that Paul was wearing. It had everything to do with the spiritual chains that fell off of him when he decided to follow Jesus at all costs. It had everything to do with a church that would face persecution but would continue on no matter what, man. It didn't have, it was a focus shift that the writer was trying to get us to take. Focusing from the finite to the infinite, from the temporal to the eternal, from the right now to the now and the not yet. Amen. It was that focus, this razor sharp focus on the Lord. And we get a picture of that razor sharp, sharp focus at the beginning of this book. Um, so Paul comes on shore, the island of Malta. He's helping these people gather wood, and it's this crazy story. So they're gathering this wood, and this viper latches onto his hand. And the islanders are like, "All snap, this dude's going to die. Which I know sounds as, like I'm using slang, but the actual Greek translates as, all, sl- all snap, this dude's going to die. Um, that's not true. Aaron would tell you that's not true. But they watch him, you know, they're like, this guy's going to die. He's going to eventually like fall over dead, but he never does. He simply shakes off this viper like it's a mosquito or something into the fire. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if that were me, I would be doing a lot of things. None of them would include simply shaking that viper off into the fire. Like I would be jumping around a lot. I would be screaming in a manner that would be hard to recover from. Like, people would think less of me afterwards. I think I would finally, at some point, turn to blame. Like, God, I'm out here for you, man. I'm doing this for you. I'm a prisoner. I'm shipwrecked. And I could have done without the snake bite, you know? Like, how many more things can happen to me, God? If I was able to get this snake off my hand, I would have been right there with the islanders. Like, man... When am I going to die? I mean, I'd love to do the things you want me to do, God, but look, I got this snake bite. I'd love to do, I'd love to go and preach the gospel in Rome, but now I'm done for. Man, how much do we live our lives like that? Where we cannot get our focus off the snake bite. And so when we see Paul's focus and we think of that word, akalutos, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us, both as a church and individuals, to shake off the viper? To focus on the Lord, even when something is, in our opinion, hindering us. Focusing on the Lord when we got this snake bite man you guys won't believe this but when I was writing this sermon we found out that we had snakes in our basement isn't that wild like it's it's almost like you would think I'm making it up but I promise I'm not um I was playing with Isaiah in the ba- in the basement my my five-year-old and uh I was out over by the door that goes out into the backyard and right there in the door frame, I'm looking down, and there's this, there's this little guy there, This little, just this little snake. So I got, you know, what's the official snake-catching tool, a dinner fork. And uh, <laughs> and I tried to, like, get this little guy, you know. And, and he was so small that he, like, went in and out of the prongs and went back to where he lived. And that's where I heard the slithering around of other brother and sister snakes. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not, that's too big for me. And I called in the big guns and they came and set up traps and stuff. So, um, so I'm trying to write this sermon. And I haven't shared it with you guys yet, but um, I share it almost every time I preach. You know, I've struggled with mental health all of my life. Um, my actual condition is OCD. I, have, I, I don't have the kind of OCD that you joke about, I have the actual disorder. And I've had it since I was a child. And I see a counselor for it. You know, it's, it's a real condition that I deal with. And I talk about that because I think there's a lot of stigma about that in the church. And there shouldn't be. Because we come here with brokenness, just like we've been talking about. But for some reason, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. So I always try to, to put that in there, you know, just to say that to get it out there. But as you can imagine, I'm, I'm trying to write this sermon, and I have OCD, And so I'm trying to write this sermon about shaking off the viper. And all I can think about is the snakes under my house. And my mind is creating these irrational scenarios. Like all the snakes in the Kansas City area are convening on my house. Like they're having a snake (laughs) conference underneath my house, you know. And I get to this point where my anxiety just gets so much that I usually just have to shut down the tank. And I'm like, okay, I'll just come back to it when I when I when I feel better because I'm this is crazy you know and then I felt this tap on my shoulder not like a physical tap but you know that tap right and God said Jason can you believe something can you believe that right where you're at right now is the perfect place to write this sermon That even in the midst of your anxiety and your discomfort, I actually have you right where I need you to do what I need you to do. I need you to shake off the viper. You're focused on the snake bite. And I need you to focus on me. Now listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that my condition is something that I can just shake off. It's not. I've tried. You can't do that. What I'm saying is, if, the, my, if my response to God in that moment is, no, no, I think I'm going to hold back until, until I'm ready, God. I, I know you're asking me to do that, but, but you know I don't feel in, in the right place right now. So I think I'm, I'll just come back to it later. Then where's my focus? Where's my focus? It's on the snake bite. And, man, we do this with so many things, don't we? Like, God, I, I know you've been asking me to give to that, that cause, or I know you've been asking me to sponsor that child, but, you know, the budget is just it's really tough right now. And so, you know, when things get better for us financially, th- then I'll, I'll be able to take that step, and I'll feel a lot, a lot better about it. I know you've been asking me to give my time and my talents to that thing. God, I know you've been asking me to do that, but, you know, the, the schedule is just, I got... A lot on the schedule. And so when things clear up, then I'll be at the place where I can really do that. Or or I know you've been asking me to have that conversation with my spouse. I know you've been asking me to fix that relationship. But man, I, I just need to take care of me right now. And once I get to a better spot, then I'll be ready to do the things you want me to do. And all along, God might be saying, I have you right where I want you. You might be perfect right now to do the thing he wants you to do. He wouldn't ask you to do it if you weren't. you got to shake off the snake bite. you got to focus on the Lord. Now this is hard. <laughs> I'm not trying to act like it's not. Um, one time when this is tested the most in my life was right after my mom passed away. Um, she passed away seven years ago. From cancer, pancreatic cancer. It was very, very quick moving. She was diagnosed in October. She died in December. Um, so it was stage four and it had spread so much that there was nothing they could do. And I was scheduled to go out and speak at this event um, right at the beginning of the year. So she died a couple days after Christmas and I was scheduled to speak sometime in January at this event. And um, you know, I, I thought, like, I would have a beautiful excuse. <laughs> like, the perfect, like, not a beautiful excuse, a terrible excuse. But, you know, like, what could they say? You know, my mom just passed away. And so there was a lot of me that was like, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do. Because there's a lot of my mind. And, and I, you know, it, I don't know how good I would be. And, and then you feel that tap on her shoulder. And God was like, no, I need you to go. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how good of a speaker I was that week at that, that speaking. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you this, like I had fire, man. I mean, I was just letting it go. I mean, from where I was at and I was hurting and I had doubts and I was just kind of speaking from that place. And I shared with those students what I'd just gone through. How could I not? You know, it would have been disingenuous for me not to. And I don't know how good I was that week for all of those students. But one night I was coming off the stage and there was this young man who was waiting for me. His name was Nathan. And what struck me about Nathan right away is that he was uncomfortable to talk to me, which always strikes me because I know the Holy Spirit's doing something. Like when a student comes up and you know like they don't want to do this, like you know the Holy Spirit has moved them to come and talk to you. And so that struck me right off the bat. And Nathan started talking to me about his dad. He lost his dad less than a month ago. His dad was a drummer. And so we shared common stories. because My mom was an artist and taught me a lot about art. And his dad was a drummer and it taught him how to drum. And as Nathan and I were connecting, I realized that Nathan had not dealt with any of the grief that he was feeling about his dad's passing. He hadn't even started. And he was, I could feel it. It was like a a dam that he was just holding all of this back. And as we were talking, man, that dam just broke. And this young man just started to weep. And there are certain rules, you know, if you do this speaking thing enough, like you're only supposed to hug a kid for a certain amount of time, you know, and you kind of like spend this much time and then you move on. I threw those rules out the window. I grabbed Nathan and I hugged him and we cried and we hugged and we cried and we hugged like... Probably neither of us have hugged and cried with a dude before in our lives. But, man, we just held on to each other. And what struck me, you know, we, we exchanged information and we would check in with one another. And we kind of guided each other through that time in both of our lives. I was able to help him through that. And, and he, would, he would say things to me that helped me. And what struck me is how easy it would have been for me to say, you know, I, I just lost my mom. And God's asked me to do this, but, you know, I just need, I don't feel right. You know, I need to get where I feel better about it. It would have been so easy for me to miss it. And I would have missed Nathan. I don't know if I was there for any of those. There was like 500 kids there. I don't know if I was there for any of the 499, but I was there for Nathan. I was perfect. I was exactly who God needed me to be for him. I just had to shake off the snake bite. I had to focus on the Lord and only the Lord. See, that's the point. Listening to the Lord and focusing on the Lord alone. I don't want you to hear me saying, I think some people can take away from this message, you know, we just bust through tough things, man. We just, whatever tough thing we face, we just, we just go right through. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes the Lord tells me to stop. He tells me to not do things. It's having your ears so tuned to him that just like Holly said, we are weird because we listen and focus so much on the Lord and we do exactly what he is telling us to do. Having that kind of focus on Jesus. There's a story that I remember. I feel you, man. <laughs> There's this story that I remember from middle school. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why this story always sticks with me. But um, it's of my, my seventh grade talent show. And uh, I was on the stage crew because I didn't have any talent to show. And so um, I got to watch all the performances. And there's these three performances that stick out to me in my mind. I will never forget them in all of my life. The first one was this guy named Kevin Curran. And we all know Kevin Curran's like Kevin Curran was the coolest dude in school, right? Like he like wore the right stuff. He looked cool. He had like all the girls loved Kevin. All the guys wanted to be Kevin. My prayer life at that time was based around like, God, why couldn't you make me like Kevin? Like, why did I have to be this lame stage crew guy? Kevin, of course, sang as the lead singer of a rock band in this talent show. He sang, like, the coolest song by the coolest band. It was When I Come Around by Green Day, which probably none of you know what that is. But, but, yeah, some of you might know, but, but Kevin was cool, man, and he pleased everyone. The second act I remember was this guy named Toby May. It's like the perfect country singer's name, right? And that's exactly what Toby May wanted to be. He wanted to be more precisely Garth Brooks. He had everything down. Like he had the belt buckle, he had the cowboy hat, he dressed like Garth Brooks. He had everything. His family, his mom and dad, were like totally on board with this rise to country stardom. So they had built him this set. And it was like this doorway with these, uh, f- these things that flew out. It looked like flames when you put a fan on it, right? And uh, he was singing this song by Garth Brooks called Standing Outside the Fire. Have you guys ever heard that song? So one time when he was practicing, the door fell over around him. So he literally went from standing outside the fire to standing inside the fire. <laughs> which I think is kind of the point of that song, actually, when I look back on it. The funny thing about Toby May was that Garth Brooks played the guitar. And so Toby May wanted to play the guitar. But Toby couldn't play the guitar. So he would hold the guitar as a prop. And if you're standing out in the audience, like, you couldn't tell. You'd think, yeah, he's just, he's moving his hand, he's moving the other hand, and he's playing that guitar. But from the stage crew, we could see, man, his fingers are like two or three inches off the strings. He's not even playing that guitar. The third act I'll never forget was this girl named Brenda and Brenda was this girl that was easy to miss I had actually grown up with Brenda she was in my class um, but I didn't know her um, she sang this song called you say it best when you say nothing at all she didn't have some big elaborate set like Toby May in fact She, we had to do a stage change, like a set change behind her, so we had to close the curtain, and she just stood on this little sliver of stage with just a spotlight on her. She was a small little girl, and and her family had like pieced together a cowgirl outfit with the best they could do with like thrift store finds. So it looked kind of, it looked goofy. She had like a a plastic cowboy hat. She looked kind of like the girl from Toy Story, is what she kind of resembled. And I'm telling you. In the nicest way, like as I watched her practice, I thought this has all the makings of a middle school disaster. Like her voice was weak and fragile, and she seemed so nervous And what she was wearing. I mean, I could almost hear these 6th, 7th, and 8th graders just whispering and laughing. And when Brenda took the stage for the first time, I just almost braced myself backstage for what was going to happen. Brenda's dad was the janitor at our school, and he had managed to um, get off all three performances. We did it for sixth, seventh and eighth grade. He had managed to get off those periods so he could come and watch his daughter sing. And so Brenda started to sing, and no one could see it, but I could see it from backstage. Brenda's dad came in the back, and he put his mop and bucket to the side, and he stood in the aisleway with his arms crossed. And his his face was just beaming with pride. And as Brenda was singing that song, all of a sudden she locked eyes with her father. And everything changed. It was like Brenda's voice got stronger. She started to sway back and forth to the music. And I kid you not, man, these are middle schoolers. But every time she did it, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, by the end of her performance, Those middle schoolers were standing up and giving Brenda a standing ovation. But here's what occurred to me. Even as a seventh grader, Brenda didn't care. She cared less. They could have laughed at her. They could have booed her. They could have said mean things to her, man. She was up there for her father. He was up there for dad. And he was pleased. He was pleased. See, this is what I want to leave you with. We get to choose what kind of Christians we want to be, we get to choose what kind of church you want this church to be. We can be. Kevin Curran like Christians and a Kevin Curran like church where man we keep up with all the trends and and man everyone's pleased with us and we just kind of we make people feel good and listen there's nothing bad about pleasing people there's nothing inherently wrong with that but if that becomes our focus we've lost our way amen we've lost our way I think my biggest fear is it will be a Toby May like church and Toby May like Christians It's the biggest thing people say against the church and Christians today. They're phonies, man. They say the right stuff. They say they believe in Jesus, but you get close and you find out they're not even playing the strings. That's my biggest fear: is that people will come into this place and they'll find out that we don't even we don't even act out what Jesus said. That we're not even playing the strings. What's this church's imprint in the community? Do we look like Jesus to them? We have to start asking ourselves these questions. When people get close, are we just Toby May? Where we look right, but man, our our fingers aren't even playing the strings. Or do we want to be a Brenda like church? And Brenda like Christians? Or, man, we look weird sometimes. We don't always please people. Sometimes we make people mad. We we make them focus on the least of these. We make them pay attention to things they don't want to pay attention to. But, man, do they follow Jesus. Man, do they look to Jesus and serve him only. Is that the kind of church we want to be? Is that the kind of Christian that you want to be? That's what I want, man. You know, Jesus tells all these stories about banquets and parties. Do you ever notice that? He tells all these stories about banquets and parties. Almost all of his stories include that. And there's this one that is about this king. And he invites all the, the, the usual suspects to the kingdom for this party. And all of them, down to the last one, are like, oh, man, I, just, I, can't, I can't make it. Like, I got, I got other stuff. My, my focus is elsewhere. And so the king sends out the invitation to all those people, like the the outer regions, the people that wouldn't usually get invited, and they come in droves, man. And when I hear about those kind of stories, I'm like, I don't want my focus to be somewhere else that I miss that party. I want to be at that party singing karaoke, singing you say it best when you say nothing at all, with my goofy plastic cowboy hat on, and everyone could be laughing at me but I don't care because my focus is on my Father and everything else can just fade away. Akalutos. Unhindered. Without hindrance. In a manner that no one and no thing can stop. It's the last words of the book of Acts. is the invitation for every christian church and every christian we can step into that you can be truly unhindered do you want it i'm going to give you some time just like i've done the last couple nights to just sit in silence for a while and then we're going to close with a song and what i want to do what i feel led to do tonight is man i just want to I want this place to be a place of prayer. And we have space to move around. We have an altar to come to. So as I sing this last song after we spend this time in silence, I just want you, if you want to come to the altar, if God has spoken to you this week, you know, the reason why I still do altar calls is because it's biblical. In in the Bible, people would build an altar when God showed up. And the cool thing about it is we don't have to build it. It's right here so there's still purpose and meaning behind the altar. If you want to sit there and pray right where you're at, if you want to move somewhere around the room, let's just transform this place into just a sanctuary of prayer. So we're going to spend a moment in silence, and then I'm going to lead us in a song. And we're just going to be here and pray. So let's spend some time in silence. Would you all stand? And like I said, just feel free to move around the room, to come to the altar if you want to. We're just going to have this last song be a prayer. And we're just going to just spend some time with the Lord as we close our time.
1: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Sing Jesus Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Sing holy We sing holy There is no one like you There is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Sing worthy. Worthy Jesus the aim above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Oh we live for you sing holy we sing holy there is no one like you. You open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
0: Sing this, I will build my life.
1: I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. I will Build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. sing holy. We sing holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. You open up my eyes in one. Show There is none beside you You open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me and I will build my life Upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you alone and i will not just sing that out again and i will my trust
0: just declare that with the voices sing and I will
1: that God you're good oh God you are so good yes you are oh God you are so good oh God oh God you are so good you're so good to me and he hears us when we call you hear us when we call. Yes, you hear us when we call. You hear us when we call. You're so good to me. God, you're so good, we sing. Oh, God, are so good, yes, you are. Oh God, you are so good. Oh God, oh God, you are. You're so good to.
0: This is a song that my dad used to sing when he'd get done preaching. Some of you might know it. We'll sing it a couple of times, so if you don't know it, you can catch on to it the first time. It just goes like this
1: and I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King. Take joy, my King, in what you hear, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, may it be a sweet.
0: that again. I love you Lord.
1: I love you Lord and I lift my voice to oh my soul take joy Take joy, Mike, my... in what you hear. In what you hear, may it be a sweet, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. To sing that last lo- that last line, may it be a sweet. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears.
0: And that's my prayer for this church. And man, if we are weird, <laughs> the way that we follow Jesus, if it does shake things up and stir people up, you know what it is to the Lord? It's a sweet sound. We make a sweet sound to the Lord so go in the knowledge that God is pleased with you and when we go forth with akalutos like focus we are a sweet sound in the ears of our God amen go in peace